Chapter Twelve of the Old Man in the Corner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Old Man in the Corner by Baroness Orzy. Chapter Twelve: The Liverpool Mystery. A title, a foreign title, I mean, is always very useful for purposes of swindles and frauds. Remarked the old man in the corner to Polly one day. The cleverest robberies of modern times were perpetrated lately in Vienna by a man who dubbed himself Lord Seymour, whilst over here the same class of thief calls himself Count Something ending in O, or Prince the Other ending in Off. Fortunately for our hotel and lodging housekeepers over here, she replied, they are beginning to be more alive to the ways of foreign swindlers, and look upon all titled gentry who speak broken English as possible swindlers or thieves the result sometimes being exceedingly unpleasant to the real grand seigneurs who honour this country at times with their visits, replied the man in the corner. Now take the case of Prince Semionitz, a man whose sixteen quarterings are duly recorded in Gotha, who carried enough luggage with him to pay for the use of every room in a hotel for at least a week, whose gold cigarette case with diamond and turquoise ornament was actually stolen without his taking the slightest trouble to try and recover it. That same man was undoubtedly looked upon with suspicion, by the manager of the Liverpool Northwestern Hotel, from the moment that his secretary, a dapper, somewhat vulgar little Frenchman, bespoke on behalf of his employer, with himself and a valet, the best suite of rooms the hotel contained. Obviously those suspicions were unfounded, for the little secretary, as soon as Prince Semionitz had arrived, deposited with the manager a pile of banknotes, also papers and bonds, the value of which would exceed tenfold the most outrageous bill that could possibly be placed before the noble visitor. Moreover, Monsieur Albert Lambert explained that the prince, who only meant to stay in Liverpool a few days, was on his way to Chicago, where he wished to visit Princess Anna Semionitz, his sister, who was married to Mr. Gerwan, the great copper king and multimillionaire. Yet, as I told you before, in spite of all these undoubted securities, suspicion of the wealthy Russian prince lurked in the minds of most Liverpoolians who came in business contact with him. He had been at Northwestern two days when he sent his secretary to Winslow and Vassal, the jewellers of Bold Street, with a request that they would kindly send a representative round to the hotel with some nice pieces of jewellery, diamonds and pearls chiefly, that he was desirous of taking as a present to his sister in Chicago. Mr. Winslow took the order from M. Albert with a pleasant bow. Then he went to his inner office and consulted with his partner, Mr. Vassal, as to the best course to adopt. Both the gentlemen were desirous of doing business, for business had been very slack lately. Neither wished to refuse a possible customer, or to offend Mr. Pettit, the manager of the Northwestern, who had recommended them to the prince. But that foreign title and the vulgar little French secretary stuck in the throats of the two pompous and worthy Liverpool jewellers, and together they agreed, firstly, that no credit should be given, and secondly, that if a cheque or even a banker's draft were tendered, the jewels were not to be given up until that cheque or bank draft was cashed. Then came the question as to who should take the jewels to the hotel. It was altogether against business etiquette for the senior partners to do such errands themselves. Moreover, it was thought that it would be easier for a clerk to explain, without giving undue offence, that he could not take the responsibility for a cheque or draft, without having cashed it previously to giving up the jewels. Then there was the question of the probable necessity of conferring in a foreign tongue. The head assistant, Charles Needham, who had been in the employ of Winslow and Vassal for over twelve years, was, in true British fashion, ignorant of any language save his own. It was therefore decided to dispatch Mr. Schwartz, a young German clerk lately arrived on the delicate errand. Mr. Schwartz was Mr. Winslow's nephew and godson, 
a sister of that gentleman having married the head of the great German firm of Schwartz and Company Silversmiths of Hamburg and Berlin. The young man had soon become a great favorite with his uncle, whose heir he would presumably be, as Mr. Winslow had no children. At first Mr. Vassell made some demur about sending Mr. Schwartz with so many valuable jewels alone in a city which he had not yet had time to study thoroughly, but finally he allowed himself to be persuaded by his senior partner, and a fine selection of necklaces, pendants, bracelets, and rings, amounting in value to over sixteen thousand pounds having been made, it was decided that Mr. Schwartz should go to the Northwestern in a cab the next day at about three o'clock in the afternoon. This he accordingly did, the following day being a Thursday. Business went on in the shop as usual, under the direction of the head assistant, until about seven o'clock, when Mr. Winslow returned from his club, where he usually spent an hour over the papers every afternoon, and at once asked for his nephew. To his astonishment, Mr. Needham informed him that Mr. Schwartz had not yet returned. This seemed a little strange, and Mr. Winslow, with a slightly anxious look in his face, went into the inner office in order to consult his junior partner. Mr. Vassell offered to go round to the hotel and interview Mr. Pettit. "'I was beginning to get anxious myself,' he said, "'but did not quite like to say so. "'I have been in over half an hour, "'hoping every moment that you would come in, "'and that perhaps you would give me some reassuring news. "'I thought that perhaps you had met Mr. Schwartz "'and were coming back together.' "'However, Mr. Vassell walked round to the hotel "'and interviewed the hall porter. "'The latter perfectly remembered Mr. Schwartz "'sending in his card to Prince Semionitz. "'At what time was that?' asked Mr. Vassell. "'About ten minutes past three, sir, when he came in. "'It was about an hour later when he left.' "'When he left?' gasped more than usual, Mr. Vassell. "'Yes, sir. Mr. Schwartz left here about a quarter before four, sir.' "'Are you quite sure?' "'Quite sure. Mr. Pettit was in the hall when he left, "'and he asked him something about business. "'Mr. Schwartz laughed and said, "'Not bad. I hope there's nothing wrong, sir,' added the man. "'Oh, er, nothing. Thank you. Can I see Mr. Pettit?' "'Certainly, sir.' Mr. Pettit, the manager of the hotel, shared Mr. Vassell's anxiety. Immediately he heard that the young German had not yet returned home. "'I spoke to him a little before four o'clock. We had just switched on the electric light, which we always do these winter months at that hour. But I shouldn't worry myself, Mr. Vassell. The young man may have seen to some business on his way home. You'll probably find him in when you go back.' Apparently somewhat reassured, Mr. Vassell thanked Mr. Pettit and hurried back to the shop, only to find that Mr. Schwartz had not returned, though now it was close on eight o'clock. Mr. Winslow looked so haggard and upset that it would have been cruel to heap reproaches upon his other troubles, or to utter so much as the faintest suspicion that young Schwartz's permanent disappearance, with sixteen thousand in jewels and money, was within the bounds of probability. There was one chance left, but under the circumstances a very slight one, indeed. The Winslow's private house was up in the Birkenhead end of town. Young Schwartz had been living with them ever since his arrival in Liverpool, and he may have, either not feeling well or for some other reason, gone straight home without calling at the shop. It was unlikely, as valuable jewellery was never kept at the private house, but it just might have happened. It would be useless, continued the man in the corner, and decidedly uninteresting, were I to relate to you Messrs. Winslow's and Vassell's further anxieties with regard to the missing young man. Suffice it to say that on reaching his private house, Mr. Winslow found that his godson had neither returned nor sent any telegraphic message of any kind. Not wishing to needlessly alarm his wife, Mr. Winslow made an attempt at eating his dinner, but directly after that he hurried back to the Northwestern Hotel and asked to see Prince Semionet. The prince was at the theatre with his secretary, and probably would not be home until nearly midnight. Mr. Winslow, then, not knowing what to think, nor yet what to fear, and in spite of the horror he felt of giving publicity to his nephew's disappearance, 
thought it his duty to go round to the police station and interview the inspector. It is wonderful how quickly news of that type travels in a large city like Liverpool. Already the morning papers of the following day were full of the latest sensation, mysterious disappearance of a well-known tradesman. Mr. Winslow found a copy of the paper containing the sensational announcement on his breakfast table. It lay side by side with a letter addressed to him in his nephew's handwriting, which had been posted in Liverpool. Mr. Winslow placed that letter, written to him by his nephew, into the hands of the police. Its contents, therefore, quickly became public property. The astounding statements made therein by Mr. Schwartz created, in quiet business like Liverpool, a sensation which has seldom been equaled. It appears that the young fellow did call on Prince Semionitz at a quarter past three on Wednesday, December 10th, with a bag full of jewels, amounting in value to some sixteen thousand pounds. The prince duly admired, and finally selected from among the ornaments a necklace, pendant, and bracelet, the whole being priced by Mr. Schwartz, according to his instructions, at ten thousand five hundred pounds. Prince Semionitz was most prompt and businesslike in his dealings. "'You will require immediate payment for these, of course,' he said in perfect English, "'and I know your businessmen prefer solid cash to checks, especially when dealing with foreigners. I always provide myself with plenty of Bank of England notes in consequence,' he added with a pleasant smile as ten thousand five hundred in gold would perhaps be a little inconvenient to carry. If you will kindly make out the receipt, my secretary, Monsieur Lambert, will settle all business matters with you. He thereupon took the jewels he had selected and locked them up in his dressing-case, the beautiful silver fillings of which Mr. Schwartz just caught a short glimpse of. Then, having been accommodated with paper and ink, the young jeweller made out the account and receipt, whilst Monsieur Lambert, the secretary, counted out before him the one hundred and five crisp Bank of England notes of one hundred pounds each. Then, with a final bow to his exceedingly urbane and eminently satisfactory customer, Mr. Schwartz took his leave. In the hall he saw and spoke to Mr. Pettit, and then he went out into the street. He had just left the hotel and was about to cross towards St. George's Hall when a gentleman in a magnificent fur coat stepped quickly out of a cab which had been stationed near the curb, and touching him lightly upon the shoulder, said with an unmistakable air of authority, at the same time handing him a card. "'That is my name. I must speak with you immediately.' Schwartz glanced at the card, and by the light of the arc lamps above his head, read on it the name of Dmitri Slaviansky Burgreneff, de la troisième section de la police impériale de S.M. Lazar. Quickly, the owner of the unpronounceable name and the significant title pointed to the cab from which he had just alighted, and Schwartz, whose every suspicion with regard to his princely customer, bristled up in one moment, clutched his bag, and followed his imposing interlocutor. As soon as they were both comfortably seated in the cab, the latter began, with courteous apology, in broken but fluent English. "'I must ask your pardon, sir, for thus trespassing upon your valuable time, and I certainly should not have done so, but for the certainty that our interests in a certain matter which I have in hand are practically identical, in so far that we both should wish to outwit a clever rogue.' Instinctively, and his mind full of terrible apprehension, Mr. Schwartz's hand wandered to his pocket-book, filled to overflowing with the bank-notes which he had so lately received from the prince. "'Ah, I see,' interposed the courteous Russian with a smile. "'He has played the confidence trick on you, with the usual addition of so many so-called bank-notes.' "'So-called?' gasped the unfortunate young man. "'I don't think I often err in my estimate of my own countrymen,' continued M. Burgreneff. I have vast experience, you must remember. Therefore, I doubt if I am doing Monsieur er, what does he call himself? Prince something? An injustice, if I assert. Even without handling those crisp bits of paper, 
you have in your pocketbook that no bank would exchange them for gold. Remembering his uncle's suspicions and his own, Mr. Schwartz cursed himself for his blindness and folly in accepting notes so easily without for a moment imagining that they might be false. Now, with every one of those suspicions fully on the alert, he felt the bits of paper with nervous, anxious fingers, while the impenetrable Russian calmly struck a match. "'See here,' he said, pointing to one of the notes, "'the shape of that W in the signature of the chief cashier. I am not an English police officer, but I could pick out that spurious W among a thousand genuine ones. You see, I have seen a good many.' Now, of course, poor young Schwartz had not seen very many Bank of England notes. He could not have told whether one W in Mr. Bowen's signature is better than another, but though he did not speak English nearly as fluently as his pompous interlocutor, he understood every word of the appalling statement the latter had just made. "'Then the prince,' he said, "'at the hotel?' "'It is no more prince than you and I, my dear sir,' concluded the gentleman of His Imperial Majesty's police calmly. "'And the jewels, Mr. Winslow's jewels?' "'With the jewels there may be a chance—oh, a mere chance. Those forged banknotes which you accepted so trustingly—' may prove the means of recovering your property. How? The penalty of forging and circulating spurious banknotes is very heavy. You know that. The fear of seven years' penile servitude will act as a wonderful sedative upon that, er, prince's joyful mood. He would give up the jewels to me all right enough. Never you fear. He knows, added the Russian officer grimly, that there are plenty of old scores to settle up with the additional one of forged banknotes. Our interests, you see, are identical. May I rely on your cooperation? Oh, I will do as you wish, said the delighted young German. Mr. Winslow and Mr. Vassal, they trusted me, and I have been such a fool. I hope it is not too late. I think not, said Mr. Burgernuff, his hand already on the door of the cab. Though I have been talking to you, I have kept an eye on the hotel, and our friend the Prince has not yet gone out. We are accustomed, you know, to have eyes everywhere, we of the Russian secret police. I don't think that I will ask you to be present at the confrontation. Perhaps you will wait for me in the cab. There is a nasty fog outside, and you will be more private. Will you give me those beautiful banknotes? Thank you. Don't be anxious. I won't be long. He lifted his hat and slipped the notes into the inner pocket of his magnificent fur coat. As he did so, Mr. Schwartz caught sight of a rich uniform and a wide sash, which no doubt was destined to carry additional moral weight with the clever rogue upstairs. Then his imperial majesty's police officer stepped quickly out of the cab, and Mr. Schwartz was left alone. End of chapter 12